0: On the air, hey Trip. Hey, how are you? I am doing well. We had a great conversation this morning with Robert McGarvey. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, video will be out sometime today.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: how are things in uh, Korea?
1: Oh, I actually, it's interesting. I was actually yesterday I was in Vietnam. Oh. And, and tonight I'm in France.
0: <laughs> you are a world traveler online. That's right. Well, hello, Jeremy.
2: Hey, hey. How's my uh, audio quality, by the way? It sounds pretty good. Okay. I'll make sure. Can't sure do door door. Door. Can't.
0: <laughs> and Sarah, hello. Nice to see you again. I think Sarah's still son. Uh, maybe getting her headset in. And I see we got a few people joining us. That is excellent. Well, Jeremy, maybe you want to kick us off with this discussion um, about personal brand for IOs, um, especially for advisors. How how did you come up with this topic, or what sort of inspired you to raise this issue?
2: Well, as we've talked about many many times, the you know the brand of IO as a whole, we have. You know, the industrial organizational psychology field is lacking in a true brand and a true proper introduction to the workforce, even though it's a field that's been around for 100 years. We still struggle with. um, Hey, I'm I'm an industrial organizational psychology consultant, uh, or they say I'm studying industrial organizational psychology and their response is, what is that? So the brand as a whole uh there there's some struggle with that so individually you know how do we go on more of a micro level and start to brand ourselves as these world-class consultants i'm going to continue to steal trip's term there world-class consultants because sometimes we need to we need to be able to latch on the io brand but we also need to be able to latch uh you know release ourselves from it and we look into personal brand you know where how do we want to be seen You know, in general, in general, like in the workforce, we think of a personal brand as really what what are people saying behind your back? It has a little bit to do with the reputation, but it also leads into more of uh, responsibility. How accountable is someone? What kind of uh, inherent um, authority do they have? Uh, What kind of leader are they? What are they really good at? how do they help people? Why do they help people? What are their, their talents and their skills? What are their main focus areas in terms of passions, ambitions, and talents? And these are all things that go into our personal brand. Each person also has an aura. If you walk into a room, you automatically give off an aura. People will make snap judgments. Is this person um, a happy-go-lucky kind of person? Are they more serious? What's their tone of voice? So how do we get our actual personal brand, how we are seen, how do we get that to match how we want to be seen, how we want to be known, how we want to, if we were to pass by, let's say, a a conference room and hear people talking about us, what would we want them to say? So what is our personal brand? What is the aura that we're presenting uh, for ourselves? And I think that's very important as we come into, you know, really this new era uh, of, of the workforce, this dawn of a new workforce and how IOs are going to be uh, extremely impactful in this pivotal area. So it's not just
0: that we really have to look at how IO itself is branded, but you also need your own personal branding, you know, be, because what you might do in the field is, is can be very specific.
2: Yeah. And we've talked a lot about our, our each person's niche area. So it's not just it's it's really this um, the entirety of, of of who you are and how people see you. You know, just think of a regular marketing brand. You know what you know, think of some of your favorite products, the, the, the names of these companies. What do you think of what's your blink reaction and what is your the blink reaction when people see you? And a lot of people might be a lot of you out there might be saying, especially the newer IOs, I don't have a personal brand. I don't have a blink reaction. It's a perfect time to create Um, the field is in such a a strong growth phase and it will continue to be that way projected for, uh, I, I don't, I don't see any end to it, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, what is, what, what, what are you doing in order to, um, to create, to create your personal brand that goes along with your niche area of expertise?
0: Yeah, and I think you're right, too, that, you know, this is the time. You know, I've often said to young actors that I wish everything that's available for for you guys now was available for me when, I hate to say this, 40 years ago, I started in the industry. But, Trip, let me go to you next, because, you know, when it comes to personal branding, I just have to say Trip Braden, and everybody knows who I'm talking about. So how did you accomplish that?
1: It's an interesting, I think I want to share a couple ideas for everyone in the room, taking it from where I, when I started and what you get to today. I would suggest to you a couple things that maybe a little bit that join with what Jeremy said, but are a little different. One is I tried to, my whole career have said, what are the challenges my clients are facing? And that's what my brand was. So the first thing is I said, okay, what kinds of things, I'm, for example, in my case, I do a lot of strategic acquisitions. And mergers and integrations are a big play in that area. So when I describe what I do to people, I talk about those kind of higher level things. And I, I tend to, to, to gear it towards who I'm in the room with. So it's very personal. The second thing is, I, I in my case, uh, much of my personal brand is tied uh, intimately with my best clients. If you have a Microsoft, a JP Morgan, a Berkshire Hathaway, uh, as clients like I do, I would be foolish not to be leveraging their brand and reputation when i talk so uh, i first thing i do is i get when i work with the clients is i let them know that i'd like to use their names uh, when i talk about some of the things i talk about in professional association meetings for example and presentations so if i say berkshire hathaway or jp morgan chase or any of these companies microsoft ibm you immediately have a a, a, a picture of you, me in your head that says i work with big companies and i work in specific areas so now i've got that two pieces down. If I was a young person today, and you know, Tom, you and I are about the same age, I would say the other piece of this is this ensemble economy piece that I'm talking about everywhere in the world right now. And that's the whole idea is you're judged by the people and the quality of the people you're around with. And I think part of that is being able to clarify that with people so that they understand that we're playing in a team sport today. We have different kinds of needs and capabilities today. But I also noticed, you know, the ensemble economy concept Is specifically designed around what i do but it really highlights what the my partners do around me so think about it from the point of view of okay how if i'm a young person do i start to get that kind of cachet how do i start to establish that there are so many more ways of doing that including this platform for example where you can be on a platform and immediately take credibility and move into a credible space simply by being engaged in some of these kinds of conversations so you know it's those three elements are really one is Be willing to let somebody else be the star. I I always tell people there is no ta-da in consulting. And the higher you go, then I've worked with a number of CEOs that everyone would know. I never say, I feel this. I typically share my insights, even when I write, about what their thinking is and how they are building their organization. So it immediately focuses that person not on me and my ego and the gratification of being successful, but to really be very capable of sharing kind of stories so people can see themselves in it. And, and the other is they spent a lot of money. <laughs> and I think of IBM and Microsoft, a ton of money on building a brand and reputation. So why not ride that wave with them and help support them and be comfortable in that role where you're not having to say, look, it's everything. I It's my methodology. It's my process. Even if it might be, it's much more powerful when you show it deployed. And especially in what we do in, in psychology, a lot of this is process driven. A lot of it's uh, productizing services that we offer with neat names. And, and the third is be willing to let go of who you have to be. Uh, the faster I rose higher and higher in, in my field, in the future of work, for example, the moment I let go of Trip Braden and really became something different, which is much more of a, a person who's a champion for the future of work. Not that, you know, and it, it seems to work really well. So just think about how would you become a champion for what you do?
0: That's great advice, Tripp. Sarah, I want to come to you next because you have been successful as an IO, you know, in the field. And I'm assuming that you had to go through, you know, the branding process of IO. What exactly is that? But then you also have been able to brand yourself as well as you unique in the field. So you want to talk a little bit about that and share?
3: Absolutely. So I wouldn't say that I'm completely through with my growing pains. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I ever want to be. Um, That's part of the joy that I take in being a business owner and an external consultant is the evolution process. So I love that part of it. And I'm always trying to challenge the next, what can I do next? Right. Um, But when we're relating everything back to branding and kind of niching down for so long, I kind of resisted the idea of niching because I felt like I was closing doors and windows on myself left and right. And once I realized that by niching down and articulating what value I actually provide, um, it, it didn't so much close doors, it actually opened them because it gave people the ability to understand what I did without having to be an expert in our industry. And really, I think that's the ultimate goal for every IO is to be able to articulate our value but at the same time, retain that level of respect that comes along with our educational background um, as kind of the clout and that 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 thing that props us up, that foundational piece, right? And so what I've learned is it's, it's much more valuable to spend time um, creating that value statement than anything else. And the more that you can simplify that, the better off you're going to be. Um, you know, I work... A lot of people in the room probably know I work a lot with um, veteran support organizations because that's my way of giving back to my community. And I encourage everyone to do that because it really is through the connectedness of people that we are able to have our greatest impact, right? Um, So because of my veteran affiliation, now I'm working with people at Ernst & Young or USAA or Wells Fargo. And these are people that... I would not have had access to, had I not selflessly put myself out into a community of service. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, what person are you, how are you providing value? What are you interested in? What are you good at? Um, And just continue evolving. That would be my my biggest um, piece of advice is I never say my brand is done. Uh, My brand is never finished, just like I am never finished. Um, And paying attention, like Tripp said, to what it is that your clients or the people that you're interacting with frequently see in you or want from you, they're really going to be the ones defining your brand, not you. Um, And just being receptive to that is incredibly important. Um, You know, we can say all day long that, you know, our interest is X, Y, Z, But if someone's not willing to pay you to do X, Y, Z, then you're pigeonholing yourself and the only person you're hurting is you. So just making sure that you're constantly doing that market research um, is is incredibly important. And if anyone wants to reach out to me for that piece, like learning how to do that part, I do have some specific ways in which I go about doing that. And one-on-one, we can kind of talk through that part of it.
0: Uh, Sarah, let me ask you this as well, because Trip talks about the ensemble economy, and, you know, one of the things that's in my mind is, especially with the young IOs, is that they're working in isolation and, you know, they're trying to achieve and, you know, trying to make it by themselves. But I know that, you know, for example, you and Jeremy connected, you know, a while back and have formed a relationship that is beneficial for each other. So, can you talk a little bit about that process of connecting with another io and coming to an understanding of how you can share your knowledge for mutual benefit
3: yeah absolutely so I think it's really important as any working for any working professional to have mentors um, also peer mentors and and supporters or people who are, sort of sponsoring you. So like sponsors and the difference between those is really subtle, but it's important in the way that you manage the relationships. Right. So Jeremy and I have what I would consider a peer mentor relationship, which means we're able to pick one another's brains. We're able to really tap into the knowledge of one another. And there's a sense of reciprocity there. Right. And that's great because it's like, I've got your back. You've got my back. Um, and, and it's good to have that level of support because in your downtimes, that person can come forward and say, Hey, have you tried this, 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 or this? So it's really bringing together that, um, uh, cumulative intelligence, if you will, that, you know, it's two brains are better than one, right? Um, the next would be having a mentor or someone that is where you want to be. Okay. So that's how I define a mentor. It's someone who is doing what it is that you want to accomplish verbatim that you can model your actions after. Because really, you don't want to spend all of your time reinventing the wheel. And I know as IOs, it can be very tempting to do that, because we're always thinking iteratively and evidence based, and we're constantly wanting to evolve. But you always want to start with a framework. So make sure that you find that mentor and you identify them early. So that would be the second person. And then the third person is going to be your sponsor. And your sponsor is like a a mentor, but it's that mentor that you've had and nurtured for a while that now vouches for you. That's that person that will go to bat when you're about to sign a deal and someone says, well, I need social proof or I need evidence. And you can say, you know what? Why don't you contact so-and-so? They've worked with me quite a bit. They can attest to my character, the types of you know solutions I've provided in the past and that sort of thing. So it's almost like a reference point, um, but they do need to be somebody of clout, right? And so that's why when you're picking your mentor, I I really encourage everyone to be very selective and they really need to be that end-all be-all goal that you're trying to achieve. Um, And so for each one of those relationships, there's a different cadence at which you should nurture those relationships. And there's different expectations on both sides of the coin, right? So one thing that I get a lot is I get a lot of younger IOs reaching out to me saying, hey, will you be my mentor? And I really appreciate that. And it's really like heartwarming and, and nice to get those messages. But as a business owner, you have to be protective of your time. Your time is your most valuable asset. And so my first question to them is always why. And most of the time I don't get a response outside of, well, you're another IO. I need more than that. In order for me to serve as a mentor to someone, I want to know what it is that they're trying to learn from me, what it is that, you know, what do they envision for themselves and that sort of thing. I have to see that early motivation from them right from the get-go. Um, and I would think that most mentors are the same if they're worth their salt at all. Um, and that way, the the relationship is, is received on both ends. So I'm able to provide the information that they're trying to acquire, but um, in, you know, the, the flip side of that is what are they going to be bringing to my life as a mentor? Right you know, are they going to be supporting me in an off project? Or are they going to, you know, advocate, you know, maybe a new initiative that I have going on within a community or something like that? Because there, there should be that sense of back and forth in any good relationship, right? That's, that's the key to relationships. They should never be one-sided. So just um, encouraging everyone in the room to have those people in place. And that is independent of our age as well. Like, I don't care how far along in your career you are, you should always have that mentor sponsor supporting you. And that's it for me, Tom.
0: And that's great advice. Uh, thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, Brendan and Linda And it's great to see you guys back on stage. Uh, Brendan, let's get back to branding. Um, how do we brand the IO industry and and what sort of things have you been doing to brand yourself in that field?
4: Uh, thank you, Tripp. Um, I'm sorry, Tom. Um, Mind's right. going in a lot of different places. Um, so I want to start out by saying I know a lot of people here are probably either still in school, fresh out of school, and kind of trying to navigate through how am I going to navigate in this world. And I start that by saying I'm not all that different from where you are right now. Um, I'm just a little bit ahead of you, um, but not that much. And I know it can be, it could be a challenge, and it can be daunting trying to find your place within this world. But I have good news. Um, COVID is your blessing in disguise. The perfect storm that's been created with regards to positions, with with regards to the whole workforce, has been turned upside down. With people wanting to okay, now we can't be treated, you know, companies really have to matter us and we have to be paid what we're supposed to be paid because there was so much salary compression going on for the last few years. And you can now be the person to fill that gap. You can now be the person to work with those companies and source all these issues and, and help them fix it because they, they, they realize that in their ways of how they've been, that there's a new way to do this. And that's honestly what IOs do is finding this new strategy for the future to make a company of best places to work or to make sure you have employee satisfaction. Um, how many employees over the last few years are probably just so demotivated. And then all of a sudden, you know, the world got turned upside down with COVID. And now all of a sudden it went from being an employer's market to an employee's market. So if you want to keep that talent, attract new talent, and build your business you're going to have to adjust now and it the good news for that is you pick the right field to be able to help with that and your time is now
0: so how do you brand that is it pointing out that you know we're you know, are you a master of changes is that the way we're going or you know what type of success have you had with branding the iowa field and what you do
4: I think a lot of it comes down to speaking to people who are younger in their career and finding out what they want within the organization that they work for. And just having the honest conversation that this this organization does have the path or, you know, you will eventually top out here and you're going to have to consider that this is this is just you know not saying that this isn't the perfect opportunity for you to hone your skills and do those types of things, but then to go move forward into the into the next phase. So, yes, I work at the organization level, but within that organization level is all the employees who make up that organization. And I find way too many companies now um, relying way too much on are being really top heavy in their thought process, where I've done focus groups for, new ideas to help the employees. And I. the information that I'm getting is from somebody who might be running a machine repetitively on an assembly line um, for eight hours a day, but that person has some really good ideas. And as an external consultant, I think it's a safer, a safer place for those employees to hear their voice rather than talking to the C-suite because they, they're worried You know, everyone has that, oh man, it's, it's not necessarily the person they are, but it's the crown they wear. And they're worried about talking to those people. So IOs can be the ones who are the voice for the CEO, can get that information, can do the research for them and then present it in a matter um, that will help move the company forward.
0: That is great insight. Thank you very much for that, Brendan. Uh, Linda Ann, it's great to have you back here. Welcome to the stage. You wanna unmute and share some of your thoughts so far.
5: Sure. Um and good morning everyone. Uh I I think that I'm in a similar place to some of the um younger IOs at this point for this iteration in my career. And I'm just getting to the point where I am comfortable with my my brand and what it is that that I do in this iteration and what I would say um is as a recommendation is to keep talking about what you do or what your interest is. The more you talk about it, the clearer it will become to you. And you'll find out what the passion is for yourself. And I think that branding really is about your passion. You know, it's the thing that, you know, people always say, what would you do for free? And that's, and that's fine but what would you, why would you do it for free? Why does it live in you? And what do you, and how do you bring that to whoever you're working with? Um, And so as far as identifying a brand, that would be kind of the pathway that I would suggest to people, you know, go into any forums, find masterminds, all those kinds of things, and start working on what, and and communicating what you do so that you polish that message for yourself. But it's a really, um, it's a self-revelation process. The other thing that I would say is there's a book called Primal Branding. And it's really, you know, about branding for companies and so forth. But there's a process and there's components of it um, that I think if you read it through and take that and apply it to yourself, it may give some real good insight as to what, what information do I need to craft that, that branding message? So,
0: Well, uh, let, me, let me ask you this then, Lindanne, because, you know, I can see going through the process of, you know, creating or establishing your brand, but the messaging of it is sort of the next hurdle. So how have you messaged your brand? Well, what tools are you using? You know, do you, is it partly of the website? or do you have a tagline so how are you get, achieving that
5: well I'm, I'm in the process of i'm finishing up my website i'm posting um, i'm creating a uh, a campaign for posting on on linkedin i do have a tagline it's called it's um, helping humans excel at work and my real focus is organizational alignment you know, I think that so many of the things that we're challenged with in an organization today can be remedied by a very clear, um, comprehensive organizational alignment process. So that's my message. That's the focus I have. And that's what I would do for free.
0: And, and no one can steal that tag and that line now that Linda has it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy. How have you branded yourself? Because, you know, you're not only known as an IO, but you're really known for those FBI negotiation tactics that you teach. So it was that part of it.
2: I I think I think that's part of it just because it's it's interesting, right? It's exciting and 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 it sounds like something that that's really interesting and people want to learn more about. I think what it comes down to for me is really the interactions that I that I have. And that uh, spreads, that aura, that word of mouth just spreads in terms of not only how I help people, but my, my desire to, to do that. Um, I, my, I have a question for, for everyone here. So does it make sense? Now we're talking about personal brand. <laughs> let's, do, let's go and show a clap. I'll go with a show of claps. Does anyone have an actual personal brand statement? Whether it's one, two, three, four, five sentences, go ahead and clap. Great. So I'm seeing, all right, so we have three, we have uh, 20 people here all together. We've got about six uh, people that actually have. I would be interested in what is your written down personal brand statement? Because that's really the, the way to go. We do a lot of exploring. We do a lot of talking. We do a lot of figuring out. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, your personal mission statement in life and how you write that down and how it changes. And, and your, your brand statement, even your personal mission statement can be anywhere from a sentence. It can be a page long. Um, but I'm interested. Is anyone willing to share or let me let me, let me re- retract and rephrase who will share their personal written down brand statement? Linda Ann, I see you have your hand up and then Brendan. Tom, I'm gonna to turn it back over to you, but uh, let's hear some of these. Linda and start with you.
5: Sure. Um, and I've been through a lot of iterations with this and, and so forth, but it's really a, a statement of purpose for me. And it's, I wanna change, I change the way people experience work because of this evolving um, workforce uh, experiment we're going through right now we need to change the way people experience work. And that's, that's my purpose.
0: Brendan, let's hear from you.
4: So when you asked the question, I was thinking about it, and it's been something that I wrote on my LinkedIn a long time ago. And it's just, it's even before I started doing external consulting, it's always been my go-to and it's, I have the ability to anticipate and oversee change, create better employee work-life balance, and I believe in doing everything with the highest level of integrity. Um, So that's my personal line, brand, whatever you want to call it, but that really reigns true in all the work that I do.
0: Um, And once again, you can't steal that now. Um, (laughs) But, you know, Trip, let me go to you because we're now getting to the point of creating that message, but you're right. You know, we are, you know, the same age. And when we started, it was write a letter, do an email, make a phone call. But there's all this technology now that is available. So where do we go?
1: Well, that's a great question, Tom, because I think part of it is if you end up having a sentence, that's all you write. I, I remember one of my clients I've had for a long time saying to me, elevator speeches make, you know, elevator minds. <laughs> And I thought, what an interesting conversation piece. And he's a very smart man and very bright. But it made me think about what you do. And I think it also, that you have to determine, and I think this is something everyone in this room has to think about, is are you working with an organization or are you working with a person in that organization? Let's say you're working and you're, most people never choose one of those two paths. And because of it, they always have these messages that sound corporate and no disrespect to corporations because i have worked with a lot of them i don't think you want to do that today i think it has to be more personal and engaging so the answer to that is i always tend to think of i sell the people and i i have high level personal relationships with those people but i think the other part of this is one of the things i say to people is they want the outcome one of the things you can do in a, this particular field is you can talk about an outcome you build like in my case i help clients build transformational alliances and partnerships and that's all I have. You know? So uh, I, I talk about the fact that I'm working with organizations. I talk about partnering and I talk about the whole idea. This is what we do to do that, though. It, I have written hundreds, if not thousands of articles over the years uh, on these topics specifically. And, and as the, the topic has become more and more important to my clients, the more and more I become focused on the key elements of that success. So there's less and less information in my articles today than there was five years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago where I was trying to give a philosophy, today I'm giving a strategy or a tactic. But you, the other is you can be multimedia with this. I I think this last year I had five million impressions on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> I had four million on LinkedIn. So that means I have to be, if I, whatever I do, if I don't stay on topic, like in my case, I never stay on topic. Um, it just means things don't happen. So you have to be able to help your clients see what you're going to bring them. And the second piece of that is who you are bringing it. So many people keep thinking it's when I arrive, I'm going to get there and I'm going to be able to do this. Um, maybe the one of the uniquenesses of my career is I've never gone through that process. I've never been that deep of a thinker thinking I have to grow and evolve to get to here. I just think there's a tremendous opportunity to leapfrog into what you want to do. And then that just makes it so much more important to pick people. And Sarah hit on this earlier with mentoring and relationships. All four things she talked about are different levels of relationship. And that's what we're talking about. Even as we move more and more into technology, the more important it will be that you have real relationships with people. And don't talk like a corporation because, because it's not very attractive. Um, and I say that because so many people copy corporate branding. And I've been in corporate branding. I've launched some really big products for my clients. That's not what you're selling in a personal services business. And if you're inside a corporation, you're becoming that personal services organization inside the company. So I would challenge you to think, how do I make this more personal and more impactful to every person I interact with, at the level where they're at, meet them, find a bridge, build that bridge with them. The relationships last forever. My clients, I've been with some of my clients thirty-three years. <laughs> that's longer than some of you have been alive. <laughs>
0: well, what you're talking about, Trip, is you know, in many terms, is creating an audience. And and isn't it true that that's how you know these social media platforms? can help us to you know, not only find but increase, increase business by sharing that information to a larger
1: audience. Let me say, I'd flip it, if I could, if you wouldn't mind. It's not creating an audience, it's finding your audience. That's what this, make this, out of all the rooms I'm on social audio, and I'm on like six or eight rooms, it used to be six rooms a month, a week. The difference between this room is we're the audience. We're the people in this room are the audience, and we found the audience. Jeremy has done a great job and Sarah has done a, And you have done a great job building a bridge to that audience versus trying to create an audience. You've chosen to go the other way, which is much healthier for the longer term is you have found an audience that's interested in similar kinds of things, but it's not the way most marketers think. Most I got to build an audience. You have to have a million followers. I have, look, give me a, I had a quote from a a guy who has done 12 unicorn companies. And he said, you know, give me 100 good people and good customers versus a million customers on a social network, and I can rule the world. That's just, think about that for a second. Less than 1% having that kind of aggressive follower base can make more impact than having a million people with average interest in what you do.
0: Wow, really, really, really important, and really well said, Trip. Uh, Brendan, I see your hand is up, but Jackie, you have joined us on the stage. Uh, do you want to unmute and share your thoughts?
6: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I definitely agreed with uh, what Trip was saying as far as a lot of times when people's statements come off as corporatey, and they don't even intend intend that to be the reason. Um, they kind of fall into that trap of you know, not knowing their audience. And for some, though, like myself, I want to work with organizations um, where my audience, you know, would be, you know, g- like a global le- leadership team or, you know, higher ups. That is sort of what they're looking for, in my opinion. Um, and so my personal statement includes a little bit of like their terminology and the way that they speak, but also a little bit of flavor of my own, you know, personal, um, I guess brand.
0: Well, it really does bring the, that personal aspect into your branding, does it not? Yep. And 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 let me ask you this: Does it also help you stand out in the crowd?
6: Well, I guess it's difficult to to say because I haven't fully launched my own like consulting um, experience or work
0: yet well keep us in the loop and let us know how it goes uh brendan let's go to you first and then over to you sarah
4: so i'm thinking about a conversation that i had with jeremy probably about a year and a half ago If i had to take a guess and um it really revolves around io as it exists currently um so there really are two very polar opposites within the io community within you have those who go into the education and then you have those who actually go out and and practice. And then once in a while, you'll have people who do both. I think that's one of the biggest things that I always, always struggled with is that one doesn't really want to work with the other. It feels like at times, and it's that, that's what we have to accomplish now is bridging that gap. And I know Jeremy is doing a great job of this through Seabach. um, but making sure that yes the the education portion and the research portion that takes place in the IO community is also very important to those in the practitioner world but now it needs to be vice versa where what the practitioner world is doing the, you know those who are in the research and the education also need to start paying more attention to what's actually taking place in the in on the day-to-day basis and that's just something i wanted to share And it's
0: a great point. Sarah, over to you.
3: Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm just going to circle back because we were all asked to kind of share, you know, our value statements. Right. And I just want to tell.
0: Yeah. Can you sorry, sorry, Sarah, can you speak up a little bit? You're awfully low.
3: Yeah. Sorry about that. So I don't maybe my headphones are dying. I don't know. Um, One of the things that I um, deal with quite a bit is I meet up with a lot of military leaders. Right. I, I I speak with people who are getting out of the military very frequently. Um, I have at least one meeting a week with a colonel or higher that's getting out of the military and they're connecting with me, you know, to make their transition more effective. Right. And so what I've learned is that um, it's kind of a a natural uh, progression, if you will, for me going from aiding a military leader in their transition to them helping or then helping them land successfully in a civilian role to them then taking that work we do together into the corporation, which wherever they land, right? And so that's just like a really natural progression. So like, I would encourage all of you um, to kind of figure out not only your niche um, service that you're providing, but also like what, who does your customer look like? Um, Because that's, That's also like really effective as well as like being able to drill down that value statement. So like one thing that I say is like, well, I'm a skilled psychometrician. And I actually say that on purpose because then their response is always, well, what is that? And then I say, that's a fancy way of saying I study behavior at work and I educate and empower transitioning military leaders like yourself to communicate with and effectively lead civilian teams. Because that's their number one fear when they get out of the military is that they don't, they're not going to communicate effectively, that they're going to scare civilians, that it's going to be difficult for them to to lead them, that they're going to come off as overbearing or what have you. So I speak directly to the fear that they're having. And I say, and then I turn these leaders into internal champions and partners for actionable assessment driven solutions, so that we can create the ultimate sustainable people and business strategy alignment. And That is my value statement. Now that took me two full years to fully develop to that place. And there were so many iterations in between there. There There's so many times that I've had to go back and add or take away. And, you know, and I found that actually by leading with the, I'm a psychometrician and getting that, well, what's that question? It, it opens the door right up for me because that makes them curious, right? Right. But if you say I'm an IO psychologist because of the word psychologist, they tend to think, Oh, um, mental health, right. Or, or laying on a couch or something like that. That's what the general population thinks when they hear that word. So, you know, finding a clever way to kind of introduce your niche. So maybe you guys aren't interested in psychometrics as much as I am, but figuring out whatever it is, you know, I mentioned, uh, um, I believe it was Linan mentioned that she was, you know, in organizational alignment. So finding a quirky term that is used, you know, frequently in there or something like that, just to kind of pique the curiosity and make them go, well, what's that? That's a good, it's a good way to get the conversation started and and to kind of get you thinking about how to evolve your statement. So your statement should include the, the partner or, or customer that you're targeting. So for me, that's an internal partner. So Trip was mentioning, do you work with organizations or do you work with people within the organizations? I myself work to train and empower partners within organizations, cause I don't plan to be there long-term. Um, and so just figuring that piece out can also help. And so you're gonna wanna include the customer. You're gonna wanna include what it is that you specifically do your niche. And then what's the result of what you do? So I, you know, I, as a result, turn them into internal champions and that gives them the sustainability that they're looking for. So making sure that you're addressing the fears and the wants of whoever it is you're talking to in your value statement is imperative to them understanding and actually accepting you into their, their process, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. Trip, let's go to you.
1: Well, yeah, well, I was going to say, when, what Sarah spurred in me was I was thinking, the other part of this is how do you talk about what you, who you work with? Do you work with customers? Do you work with clients? Do you work with patients? They're all the same thing, depending on what industry you're working in. And the language you choose to use, and, and Jeremy's great, this is one of my favorite parts of Jeremy, is he is so precise with his language, it's very clear who he works with. And it's simply by choosing the right one word in describing the relationship they have. And I, and I think it's so easy to overlook that piece and say, for example, I do a lot in professional services. When I say to customers, they look at me blankly. <laughs> and I look at pay, when I work in medical, it's when I don't talk about patients, when I talk about clients, they look at me blankly. You've got to figure out. And this is one of the ways you can do uh, cut a lot of t- learning curve off is by understanding the precise language of the industries or the markets you might want to work in specifically and how they refer themselves to each other. So when you sit there and say, if you talk to Target about organization development, you want to talk to them about team members, you know, and, and this is really little stuff. But again, uh, I'll give you one other final piece of advice, and it's kind of crazy, but especially even at my level, I think, and I, I think I have myself as a pretty high-performing consultant, uh, it's, it, you win those engagements by inches. both Because inter- like, my biggest competition in my world is not external consultants who are gonna come after the same piece of business I have. It's the internal resource I have to compete with. And by having the right language and showing that you don't have a long learning curve, you can set yourself apart from everybody else because you understand it. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You could just look at a you know, help wanted, kind of you know, look at what they're trying to hire and how they address those issues in their ads for hiring people will provide you tremendous amounts of insight into how they see their team. And it can save you and make you a lot of money, and find you a lot of opportunities simply by understanding better your client's condition before you go there, and using a language that they're familiar with versus trying to translate in real time.
0: A great advice, Trip. Uh, Jeremy, let me let me go to you next because Trip, Sarah, and Brendan have all sort of touched on this, but we just had a fascinating conversation with Robert McGarvey, who is a a world class economist and is really seeing the change that we're going through with, you know, businesses and corporations focusing less on, you know, the factories and the machines because we're really moving into a people economy. So how is that going to maybe change or or force the adapt adaption of the IO field? And are there some new niche markets that, you know, especially IO should be looking at?
2: Yeah, I think first off, Tom, let me say, kudos to you. You're going to be on three hours straight of, of hosting strong events. We just had our VC mastery and then we have this one and then we have our next deep dive. So, uh, you are still going strong, my friend. Um, in terms of, uh, what we were talking about on with, uh, Robert McGarvey and moving from, you know, machines creating wealth to people creating wealth. I think there's a lot of opportunity now for IOs. I have seen just dramatic mind shift in terms of how organizations think about their human capital and how organizations are finally starting to realize that, look, we have all these untapped resources, which essentially are free resources to us because we're already paying for them. We're already paying the salaries and the benefits to our people. Guess what? Now we can actually, as we learn more, tap into that, as we learn how to tap in to that, all of those passions, all of the ambitions and the t- talents that people have, and refrain from just smashing the spirits. Refrain, I'll say again, from smashing the spirits of, uh, of people when they come into the workforce. People have so, there's so much. I mean, you, you take, I say this often, I'll say it once more. Uh, you take 15, 16 people in a room, and you've got about, uh, you've got over a century of experience, likely in one company, and you've got likely over two, two centuries of actual work experience. And that is, there's just so much there. And instead of people coming to a a job and being told what to do, it's really a matter of, I saw this posted uh, somewhere on LinkedIn yesterday. I can't remember who or what, Uh, but it's really a matter of uh, you saying, all right, we're hiring you because you're good at this. Instead of us telling you what to do, why don't you tell us what to do? Now that I think about it, I believe it was part of uh, Steve Jobs' quote. So I think there's tremendous opportunity because of that paradigm shift finally that organizations are going to, and that quite frankly, IOS have been praying for years and years and years and years. I think it's finally coming um, because uh, as a necessity of what's going on in our current uh, work environments.
0: Well, let me ask you then trip next, because you know, you're actually in those rooms where you're having conversations with, you know, CEOs and the members of the C-suite. Do they see the change coming and are they ready to adapt?
1: Well, I I would say that probably I want to say two things. First of all, I think I spend a lot of time in the C-suite, but that's not what differentiates me. I don't think, I think there's a lot of people who do that. I think what differentiates me is that is the frontline ability to deal with the people in the, that are actually doing the work and having conversations in a way to gather the wisdom that exists in the organization. So I think part of that is, is is the answer is I don't think everyone sees it, but I think the other part of this and this I'll give you guys a, a shortcut brand. Uh, be the brand of leadership. <laughs> be the person who's being the insightful person who's providing insight into those kinds of issues. Pull together what Jeremy talks about. Pull together what Sarah talks about, and realize specifically that that's part of what you bring to them. So the CEOs know it's coming, but the question becomes: Is what kind of organization are we going to be? And if you look at a not just Satella, who at Microsoft I just killed his name, there's new the CEO over there, you see a different kind of leadership in the C-suite. And it's more of a team-based approach and a more collaborative basis. So when I, when I maybe 20 years or even 15 years ago might have said to them, this is what I see and here are my insights, today I have to help bring them to those same insights or their own insights ultimately. And then it's a, it, it's a give and take. So I, don't, uh, I, I tend to think at this stage in my life and maybe always have, my job is to facilitate expertise. Uh, my job is to bring out the best in the people I work with, right? This is what I do for a living. And so part of that is understanding that though I have opinions and I share them in this room very openly, most of my clients wouldn't think of me that way. They would think of me being a facilitator of expertise in the organization. But yes, they see it coming. I think the question for many of them is what does it mean? Because what we have to think about is as you look at technology taking more and more over and doing less and less with, with, with more, more and more equipment and technology doing le- a lot for you, and less with people, it means you have to have high-performing teams. Uh, Twenty years ago, I came up with the army and said, "Hi, you know, the army of one concept." And at that time, we really weren't there yet. Today, we are as a as, an, as a society. The individual is supersized, and that means you know it's not so much about the the people in the room with me, as much as what the people in the room are thinking and trying to do. So, if that helps, I, I that's a very long. I have a couple long answers always today, right? But I do think the other part is understanding it's the ability to go up and down the organizational charts effectively and never point a finger at anybody being guilty because something's not being done, but making sure that it's changed. And that's really hard because you sit there and you see something and say, I can't believe you're breaking the spirit of your employees. I have this going on right now with one of my biggest banking clients. Their whole branch just about resigned. And I said, whose fault is it? And I say, they all blame the manager and the branch. And I said, no, I can't do that. You got to go to the general manager of the division. Because that's the person who's kind of leading the, the the thinking. You've got to be able to not accuse. And I say this not because I'm I'm always good at it. You can't accuse people into doing something you want. And as so many people try to do that. And it's very hard, especially for people like everyone in this room. You're all much more educated than most of the clients you are going to work with in your life. And the moment you figure out that your job is to really that relationship and peer to peer as quickly as possible without going over their head you're going to have a lot better relationships and ultimately better results from your engagements and you know that's my opinion
0: yeah i don't care how long your answers are trip you show great wisdom um (laughs) brendan i want to go to you and ask you a question because you know you're you're working on the front lines and yesterday i was in a, a zoom event with three mental health experts And, and one of the things they raised was, you know, we're focused on the work life balance, but really we need to switch that thinking and be more focused on the life work balance. What do you think of that concept? Oh, Brendan, did you hear that? Or was I muted all the time?
4: Yeah, no, I'm good. I heard you. Okay. We're good. Um, I I love the way you put that as, as the life work balance. And I think something that's a lot of uh, there's a struggle going on right now. You'll see it on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure there's probably people on here that I've actually seen post these things about people should be able to work from home and hybrid is the new this. And, and I, I gotta be honest with you it's still in my opinion it's probably a 50 50 to a 40 60 split that certain people like working from home and certain people don't i personally don't like working from home um i like going in and i like having interacting with people and that's just who i am um so what's happening is you have this battle between the people who like to go into the office are generally because well then you go into the office and you put your eight hours in and you know, you've pretty much done the majority of your work for the day, albeit with the emails and other things that trickle out. Um, but then you also have the people who are doing this more remote work. And and I have to be honest with you, a lot of these people are burning themselves out because they're, they're starting their day at eight o'clock and then maybe they go and they have dinner, but then they go and pick up work again for the next four hours. And they're not finishing until 11 o'clock or midnight. Um, So I think it's up to these organizations to really be setting the rules and the guidelines and the structure around what telecommuting is and what remote workforce is to make sure that that life work balance is appreciated. because. I also know between that, a lot of people now have become so used to that. So they'll go on vacation and then they'll get emails and they'll be answering emails from the beach and things like that. And it needs to be a true vacation. It's truly days off and a true checkout from work. And that organization has to make sure that it's upheld as a belief to them that, hey, when you're on vacation, you don't have to worry about here. You worry about your vacation and enjoying yourself.
0: Uh, Great point. And you know, Jeremy, We've actually been looking at this with the programs that we're developing at at VC Mastery. How do we establish that work-life balance so that it's it's not twenty-four hours a day working, but you're doing it from home?
2: Uh, of course, having that clear delineation is important, but you know, there's also an importance of identity. Um, people, I. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's almost like, a, it's almost a paradox, right? So we go to work and we have our identity at work and then you get home or you are home and, and now you're going to your um, single life or your family life, your non-work life. And sometimes it's like night and day, two completely different things. So, and the reason it's a paradox is because there needs to be a, a separation where em- no, no emails, uh, no Contact no slack, no meetings because of that work life. Because of the need for that personal time. However, I do believe that there's benefit with not taking your work identity and bleeding it into your personal identity, but taking your per but having organizations understand that each person has their individual ide- identity, and take and understanding. Okay, here's the company's I- identity. We don't have to have everyone's identity align with the company's identity solely. Because when you do, you start to lose some of that who you are, some of your personal identity, some of your personal passion. So I think there's value in having organizations say, look, take whatever your personal identity is, and let's bleed that into the workplace a little bit. Let's take whatever motivates you uh, 24-7 and see how that can motivate you at the workforce. What are you really good at? What types of problems are you really good at solving? What types of human actions, human interactions are you known for in your personal life and you're really good at? What types of skills, um, what types of ability to teach others, your ability to lead? Because there's plenty of people who are uh, in strong positions of leadership outside of the workforce, whether they're a coach, whether they're parents, whatever it may be, but they don't have those kinds of responsibilities in the work, in the workplace. So I think it's part of it. And again, it, there's, there's no just answer to this, but something that could be beneficial to explore stated more concisely is not having your work identity overcome and bleed into your personal identity when you're off work, but rather the opposite is having organizations understand that people have their own identities and how can they align those and let those bleed into their work identities as well?
0: Thank you for that. Tripp, over to you.
1: You know what's interesting to me? I'm going to say something kind of radical. Uh, I've worked with some very extraordinary people in my life, um, more, more than I can imagine in my lifetime. And, and one of the things is I think it's the other way around. I think work-life balance is overrated in some cases. And, and I'm not saying this because it's for everybody. But if you look at the people I've worked with, I remember Bill Gates and Warren Buffett being interviewed together on one of our stages. And it was fascinating to me because they didn't think of what they were doing as work. (laughs) And I think maybe that's another distinction between uh, those kinds of individuals, those high performance people who you know about that are on all of magazine covers. I think there's always and I think as a society, we have to be willing to allow for that. I've had people be very critical about my life-work balance uh, at different times when I've had certain particular issues in my life. Uh, I never thought of what I was doing as work, so it wasn't strained. And I think that we, we can't always define what success does and means to people. I think I'm very concerned about the fact that a lot of the people I talk to today see achievement as being a bad thing and high performance as being an unacceptable thing. And when you talk about to the people, and I've talked to people from frontline Navy SEALs and, and Rangers and the Army to people who are presidents of companies to everybody in between. I, I think there's got to be, and if you want to be extraordinary in this field, you may have to pay a price that maybe you're willing to or not. And that's up to you to make that choice. But don't, don't voice your values of performance on me because Mr. Buffett <laughs> reads every day in, in his office in Omaha. He spends eight hours a day reading and that he wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I, and I think he doesn't see it as work. And I think that's the other part of this. is That's why it's so critical what Jeremy led with today, this mission, vision, passions, ideas. You should be willing, if you want to be extraordinary, and, and not everybody has to be, but, but be honest enough with yourself to say this is some of the behavior that is required in every society to be extraordinary in all of history. There's never been an extraordinary person who wasn't all in, wasn't all in, on some level, but they didn't feel like they were all in. They enjoyed what they do. And that's where I think it, the other thought I'd say to everyone in this room is, this is my last time for sure on for a, a while, is challenge yourself to not go along with the crowd on some of these issues. Because you're gonna wonder at the end of your life, you're gonna look back and say, what did I accomplish in my life? And I have you know, children and nieces and nephews and friends and relationships, but my God, I never thought I was working you know, <laughs> most of my life. When I'm working, I'm looking at a client saying, he won't be a client or she won't be a client much longer. If I feel like I'm working, and, and I'm just saying to you, as you think about what you do in your life, find something that you can put your teeth into and not mind and not feel like it's work. This should not be hard work. Psychology and emotional intelligence for me is not hard work. You guys have got to find a way Because the the high-performance people, and if you don't want to be one, that's okay, but understand what you're giving up in that for yourself and for the people around you and the world.
0: Thank you very much, Trevor. I think that's great insight. Unfortunately, in the end, we are out of time. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to uh, do a quick wrap-up and tell us about where we're going to be going for the next hour? and jeremy may have already
2: gone no, go. sorry uh, i was talking without my uh mic off, my mic on um we're going over to the deep dive room why team building as it is is a very extremely poor use of valuable time so we're going to head over there and of course we'll see you again same time same place next week so thank you everyone for the tremendous contributions and being here please join us in the next deep dive room I'll go ahead and close out in five, four, three, two, and one.